Hello, and welcome to Fear and Trembling with Horror, the podcast that brings you all things horror into conversation with philosophy, theology, religion, literature, you know, just the stuff of life. I'm one of your hosts, Jared, and I'm joined with my good pal, Ryan. Now, I have to say the basis of our friendship started over discussing horror films in a dorm room far too long ago, I must admit. We were in college together, we did grad school together, and we've watched countless horror films while eating pizza and jiffy pop popcorn. We debated best and worst slasher films, and we have had fun along the way. And we like to peel back the onion looking at all the uh, the cultural meaning and, and profundity or lack thereof of horror films. Yes, so I think... One of the things that would have been appropriate would be looking at Lord of Illusions on this uh, Maiden episode. But yes, Lord of Illusions. <laughs> Fam Key Jansen's Illusions. Anyway. <laughs> on today's episode, we're going to be looking at David Gordon Green's trilogy that started back in 2018 with the release of H40, as it was called on the streets, uh, Halloween 40 years later where it basically ignored all of the sequels and all of the alternate timelines to kind of have a clean slate sequel to John Carpenter's masterpiece from 1978. So we're going to look at these three films, uh, Halloween, Halloween Kills, and Halloween Ends today, and kind of look at what David Gordon Green and Danny McBride brought to the, brought to the franchise. Yeah, you and I saw that first film uh, when it came out in the theater. I remember the theater that you and I went to was uh, under reconstruction, and so it was ripped down to the studs and the subfloor. It was a creepy-looking uh, space. Uh, forget the film that we were watching, which really oh, added to the ambiance. And I have to say, I had to say, <laughs> I, I, as a big fan of Deborah Hill and John Carpenter's original Halloween, I was incredibly happy with David Gordon Green and Danny McBride's the reimagination of it. I thought it brought it back to form, uh, surpassing many uh, like errors along the way in the sequels. And I think the dumpster fire, that was the Rob Zombie uh, uh, episodes. However, uh, when we get back to the, uh, the original of this new trilogy, one of the things you have to note is it, it takes place 40 years later when, uh, when Laurie Strode is is a grown grandmother with a daughter who's a grown woman. And the question is basically what would her life be like with this tra trauma having affected her as a teenager? And it's a fairly realistic uh, depiction of somebody who's lost everything, given themselves into uh, substance abuse and has basically never shed herself of the monster, Michael Myers. Yeah, it's certainly a, a, a an extended look at despair, isn't it? Um, that she has had a daughter though, uh, which is interesting. Uh, and the daughter has a, has a daughter. And then you can see Allison being like the exact opposite of what her mom uh, was. And that, that tracks, you know, any times, uh, anytime we experience trauma in our lives, you know, we're always parenting against our parents, <laughs> um, trying to right those wrongs that we thought we experienced as kids. And so, you know, that's certainly what we encounter in this film, you know, with, uh, uh, Allison and um, right, Karen, as, as her her name is. Yeah, her. don't be such a Karen. Karen, yeah. Well, I mean, um, I think I think one of the things that I loved about it was that it did continue the story. Here, here's Laurie Strode after Halloween night, as she's grown up, as she's tried to cope, as she has had, as we said, this trauma 
it's taken that, that, that trauma story very seriously in a uh, genre that hasn't always um, honored trauma. Uh, it's, it's honored the big bad uh, fear and get over it or maybe just end the story. But here, this is the lingering monster. Well, and it, they, the slasher genre certainly, you know, it likes to explore trauma from the killer's perspective. You know, there's always some type of trauma, whether it's, you know, physical, psychosexual, whatever, you know, that has led to the creation of this particular masked killer. Uh, though with, you know, Michael Myers, you don't really get that. He was a six-year-old boy that just flipped a switch one day, grabbed a knife and a mask, woo, and you don't really find out much else beyond a couple of couple of speeches in the original so it was a very interesting turn to see them go oh well let's look at the 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 psychological trauma that might be from the survivor's perspective and really kind of dive deep into her life and see what havoc that's you know that's caused and so for that for that very reason yeah 2018 was a very uh, welcomed um very welcomed entry into the franchise for that purpose. I like that you brought up Michael's origin story because it really is one of the reasons why there's a mystique around his character. Uh, He doesn't have one. Uh, We even see in the original, a six year old boy coming home on Halloween night after his sister has the fastest of trysts with a boyfriend, Michael goes into her room and, and, and kills her violently with a knife Uh, He is locked away in an asylum. We don't know why he is the way he is, what decision uh, led him to this, if he had some sort of attachment disorder or if he's just pure evil. In fact, they play and question that question the entire way through. That's one of the things that Carpenter is famous for talking about is the two types of evil that you see in stories. The evil that's on the outside of humanity. This would be the supernatural or this could be alien of some type or magical. And then the, the, the horror, the evil that is inside of humanity, which is represented well by Jekyll and Hyde or the Wolfman. And mm. what you have with Michael Myers when he in the original grow, comes of age, breaks out of the asylum as he dons a mask. Now, famously, that mask, not to bore people who know this really well, uh, it it was a cheap William Shatner or Captain (laughs) Kirk mask, uh, doctored up a little, but it looks like a blank stare, a blank face. And Carpenter's whole uh, idea was to let it be a projection of whatever fear you have. And so in the script, we don't uh, see... The, the character Michael Myers on the page, you see the character called The Shape. Yeah. So uh, whether or not it really is a projection or it's just simply a ghostless, uh, a faceless, ghost-like haunting with the big question of mystery, why is he doing this? It becomes a very terrifying uh, plot and the plot device mm-hmm. all the way through. Now, then we come to this new movie, 2018, <laughs> And yeah. the monster is lingering, even though the shape is in, in a criminal asylum for the criminally insane. The shape is still there in Laurie Strode's mind, driving a wedge between her and her daughter, her granddaughter, and with uh, bringing her to the love affair with her bottle. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, she's she's experienced, you know, watching the shape or Michael get shot in the chest six times, you know, and then disappearing at the end of the first film, right? So that, that you know, she's experienced... Th- 
encounters with the boogeyman. So she always has this fear of he's going to come back. It's not a matter of if, but when, even though he's seemingly locked away, you know, able to rot, you know, in a federal insane asylum, um, who somehow, you know, has a, has a, not a, not a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I don't know. Yeah, his his doctor is not a good faith actor, right? You know, the guy that <laughs> no. t- the guy that took over for for Loomis uh, has has a he's missing a few things, so he's not a good faith actor. So that's one of the things that kind of helps him escape. But you know, she is just dead set on on everything in her life, uh, preparing for the moment uh, when she has to come face to face with the boogeyman again. And, you know, you have all the good elements from, from the original. And I like what you said as this being a callback to that in tone, you have the mask, you know, that somehow, somehow it's, it's not just Michael. Um, and it's not just the mask, but it's those two things together. And there's a couple of scenes, you know, the 2018 version that really, you know, when they're in the yard and the checkers, the checkered floor out there, you know, where they get all the sun and the, you know, the two podcasters, he's like, Michael, I got your mask. And, you know, there seems to be some connection at least with Michael and the mask. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's got all the elements, you know, it's, I think 2018 was, was a, was a very good, uh, exploration of not just, not just Lori's trauma, but, in a very weird way, you have this doctor trying to understand what makes Michael tick. You know, they come in 2018, they come dangerously close. Well, they don't come as close to uh, making the same mistake as Rob Zombie did, but I could defend that a different day. Um, and I will certainly, I will certainly defend his take on, on evil uh, over and against uh, <clears throat> David Green's conclusion to Halloween ends. I think he makes the same mistake as well, before you listen, you're teasing too yeah. much that before you get teasing? too far. Uh, yes, Ooh. you're, you're teasing. Hey, <laughs> let, let's, 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 uh, let's talk about the, the, the trio, uh, the narrative structure the, the trio of characters that mm-hmm. that's got you have going on. You, you, you have Laurie Strode who's been traumatized. Who's basically prepared her entire life prepared her daughter her entire life to the point of actually getting in trouble with the state um, for Michael Myers to return. And so she set up her life as a bit of a fortress of solitude. Uh, Her daughter, Karen, decides to, and she actually says something to the effect of, you choose to see the world as violent and scary and awful. I choose to see it as full of light and happiness and joy. And it's 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 a choice made to see it as, uh, purely almost Pollyanna. And then in between those two, you, you have the, the granddaughter who's being tugged in two different directions. Mm-hmm. And then that little triangle of, uh, the narrative triangle of characters is disrupted by, uh, by someone who comes to do evil on Halloween night once more named Michael Myers. Um, it's almost to say, if you watch all the films that neither one of those understandings of the world are completely accurate perhaps uh that it's all dark and bad and scary is uh <laughs> lacking nuance and perhaps that it's all light and puppies and rainbows and is too lacking the nuance there is um the propensity for good and evil but the question for halloween always is what is evil now yeah. earlier on in some of the original uh, the original some of the early sequels you have that question uh, of of what is Michael Myers? Is Michael Myers uh, 
uh, pure evil or whatnot. And I do think that this is a draw for audiences. I'll never forget mm-hmm. when I was uh, I was working as a youth minister and we were at a, uh, uh, a conference with some kids and they had come across Halloween on their uh their hotel room at night <laughs> and the next morning at breakfast uh, they were talking about it and when i walked over they hushed themselves but then i i caught wind of what they were talking about of course i it piqued my interest halloween <laughs> being my favorite slasher of all time michael myers right. being one of my favorite characters in those uh in that subgenre and so i i made the mistake of answering one or two questions oh, and then oh the Lord. rest of the time these <laughs> junior high boys following me around wanting to know but why does he do this where does he come from and they were caught up in this uh, near mythological uh, character, uh, and mm. I'm not even talking about the movies that make him mythology and the ancient runes and stuff that happens later with Paul Rudd. If you want to see an early Paul the Rudd, Thorn Rudd, trilogy, yes. Yeah. But I'm talking about simply the the, the 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 mythology that comes out of the mystery. Mm. Well, here you have Doctor Loomis saying things like that. He looked into his eyes and he saw. Nothing but the devil's eyes, the blackest eyes. Pure evil. Then you have later in the Rob Zombie accounts, and this is all I really wish to say of it, is that Loomis in those accounts is talking about how evil uh, Michael Myers is innately, yet he goes to great pains to show you the abuse and trauma that Michael Myers suffered that created him to be this monster. Well, which one is it? That's the question always being asked. Is this is Michael Myers made or is he born this way? Yeah, I mean, well, to take a direct quote from the Samuel Loomis in in that particular version of Halloween, he's like, you know, Michael Myers was was uh, the the perfect storm of interior and exterior uh, circumstances that came together to create you know, what he became. Um, and I think there's there's something to that. Uh, you know he he has this uh, when he's in the when he's in the hospital you know with Michael and he's you know he's doing that you know, doing the psycho you know the psychology. Are you talking thing. about in the Rob yeah. Zombie dumpster yeah. fire? Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. He he has this. Um, you know, Michael makes one of his first rudimentary masks uh, because Rob Zombie shows Michael having this fascination with wanting to hide his face and hide who he is. Uh, and Michael makes this mask out of uh, he he colors this mask black. And, you know, this conversation between him and Malcolm McDowell, you know, his Samuel Loomis, you know, basically says, well, black's my favorite color. And Loomis goes, well, black isn't a color. It's the absence of color, isn't it? And he talks about this whole spectrum of colors, how black is the absence of color and white is all the colors. And basically that becomes a, a, an entire metaphor, of that whole movie for, you know, the, the blackness that, that comes to you, uh, possess possess michael right it's the absence of everything that makes a human being a human being and you could call that you know they do throw around the term psychopath in that film um but it it actually kind of works for every take in in halloween right you know this idea that the blackness is the absence of 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 the good um you know you could you could do with that what you want but i find that i find that I find that I find that conversation 
in that hospital scene a little bit more compelling than I did. Uh, no, I, I like to tease a lot. I'm sorry. A little bit <laughs> than I did the uh, the conclusion of Halloween Ends. Well, I think we're going to agree that the Halloween Ends fails with the first two achieving. We'll get on with it. But yes, you can play a lot with that very shallow metaphor. Let's move on. Ooh, I liked Never mind. Uh, Let's move on. <laughs> okay, what were some of the favorite tropes in the first one in 2018? The, the first of the David Gordon Green. Uh, I'm just going to go throw one out, and let's see if we can play a little uh, pickleball here with it back and yep. forth. I, I, I like the role reversals. I just, mm. uh, you know, everything from the final girl. And go ahead and give us a description of final girl. Yeah, so it's it's oftentimes the, the final girl is the one that, you know, could easily recognize the danger that, that they're in that surrounds them and is often, like, virtuous compared to her other other friends. Uh, and she's the one that, that typically uses her wits or her intelligence to outsmart and outmaneuver a much larger, you know, more physically abled opponent. Um that's a bad butchering of, of what the final girl is, but that's essentially what it is. You know, she is, she is like the, the last most aware person that is able to take on, uh, able to take on the, the evil. And certainly out of the seventies and eighties final girl, usually she's morally upright considering the norms and mores of the day. She doesn't drink, do drugs. She doesn't have sex. Right. Uh, you know, she, she, she and she, it's kind of, beco- it kind of becomes a trope. And, and uh, Laurie Strode is a final girl. Her yeah. innocence lets her see what her otherwise busy, busy bodied in numerous ways. Friends can't see because they're too busy. They're too uh, right. caught up. And usually it's caught up in teen angsty sex and stuff like that, <laughs> which, you know, we can talk about all of those tropes later. But yeah. but I, I loved it because, you know, uh, uh, oftentimes that final girl, even though they're the ones who can see and overcome, still they're somewhat uh they're still what they're still the um uh the preyed upon mm-hmm. but this flips it over and Lori becomes the hunter of the monster sure uh she sets traps for michael myers um there's that reversal at the end of the very first halloween they look over the balcony after Michael has been shot by Loomis and mysteriously his body is gone. There's a time where she falls out the window in a confrontation with Michael and he looks down to see her and her body's gone. gone, She's become totally this, uh, weathered by the storms of life, total B a grandmother Mm -hmm. who, yeah, she's got her demons. She loves the bottom of a bottle and her Percocet, but she's got some sawed-off shotguns, and she's going to come for you, Michael Myers. Right? Yeah, it. she's going to become an active, an active, per, you know, an active defender, and not just, um, you know, she's going to take take possession of having to defend herself, right, from whatever evil that's out there lurking, rather than just being, you know, like a passive. Oh, you know, oh, you're here now. I got to run away, you know. And from a um, babysitter to a grandma bear, <coughs> mama bear. Ooh. Yes, and one of the things that I think this is like there are several examples of final girls throughout slasher, you know, history, right? Uh, Laurie Strode is like one of the prime examples of, you know, she's like that character is like the first example of what a final girl is. She's somewhat resourceful, but she's not like she's not like a, a Nancy or Heather Ligenkamp in the original Nightmare, where. Nancy takes possession over learning about her dreams, setting traps, you know, becoming active about survival techniques, right? 
Uh, and you have in a, lo- a number of slasher films, anything in between. That's what I liked about this 2018 version of, of Lori. You know, she's, she is no longer this, this kind of passive, passively surviving, you know, in, in the first, like she did in the first film. Um, and now she's actively into survival and that's a much, um, fuller version or a much fuller character of what the final girl is and can be much like I, you know, much like I said, Nancy was in the original nightmare. Um, and I think, and Sydney Prescott, right. You know, they're all kind of from uh, scream from scream. Yeah. You know, these are like the pinnacle of what final girls are modeled after. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I really liked, I really liked how they took, you know, Lori's character and had her, you know, not to, not to throw out spoilers, but certainly more active in her defense. Yeah. And they, they do a lot of flipping things over. Like there's the, the male version who's going to lose his virginity to a more experienced <laughs> girl. There's yeah. all kinds of, uh, of turning, uh, basically, uh, 1970s and eighties, uh, cultural stereotypes on their head in keeping with more today's culture. Uh, and of course it ends, um, Lori's house is a trap, uh, for Michael Myers, the three women, um, trap him. And he is then set afire with the rest of the house. Let's move on to the second one and move through it. It begins there as the three women have been, uh, looks like they've been rescued by a, a passerby. They're riding in the back of the truck. There's wounds, there's blood, there's a knife. And then there's a fire truck heading towards the burning house, which Lori <laughs> freaks out. No, let it burn. Let it burn. Let it burn. And of course, we see emerging like a black phoenix. Let's see. Uh, Rob Zombie's black. <laughs> black is evil. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, from the phoenix. <laughs> A phoenix from the ashes is uh, Michael Myers, and he takes down all the firefighters and begins another reign of mayhem. Yeah, some of the some of the best, at least you know, I think some of the best shots, shot compositions from Halloween Kills comes from that opening sequence of him walking onto the, you know, walking onto the porch with the, you know the the fireman pickaxe. And it just kind of, it's like slow motion. It just kind of stays there for a second. And he's kind of silhouetted by the burning, burning of the house. And you're like, Oh, let's take them on one by one. <laughs> yeah. So uh, still Oops. playing, playing yeah. into the uh, lack of clarity that's ever def- really uh, established whether or not he's somehow superhuman in terms of uh, power or, uh, almost just like roid rage, angry. Yeah. Uh, he is definitely capable of withstanding a great deal of pain. The second installment from David Gordon Green and Danny McBride very much parallels the second installment from Carpenter and Deborah Hill, and that it continues on that very night. Yeah. Uh, this time we have the play of an attempt of at vigilante justice. <laughs> uh, yes. Starting yes. in a bar. That's where all good justice begins in a bar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Street street justice. Um and the ineptitude of of the actual authorities to really do anything about it. That is a that is a key a key element to any good slasher film is the uh, ineptitude of authorities. Sorry guys. Uh, you still can't get it right. <laughs> um <so laughs> nobody's wearing any thin blue line shirts in these films. Um you know, and so 
yeah, vigilante justice, you know, the, the justice of the streets come, Hey, we're going to hunt him down. You know, we've had enough. We're going to hunt him down. And ironically, this is not the first time in a Halloween uh, movie that a mob takes to the streets Uh, that actually happened. I believe it was Halloween four when that, when that took place. And so there's some parallels there to uh, one of, you know, I think where you're going to land the plane about scapegoating and stuff like that. Uh, Again with the teasing. Sorry guys. Mm. Um, you know, so I, I, yeah, it's, it's mob violence. You know, what do you do when you feel like there's no one out there to help you? Well, since you've, you've teased it, let's go ahead and say what's going on in the bar on Halloween night. Many of the main characters, uh, throughout that narrative, as well as other ones, uh, who have faced Michael Myers in the past, including Tommy Doyle, who, uh, Laurie Strode babysat the night. 40 years before they're at the bar, they're drinking, they get up, they tell the story, they, they, they drink in honor of their trauma, finding out that he, this lunatic has escaped, you know, uh, as they call him, uh, and they begin chanting and, and, and creating a furor and just a, a fever pitch of emotion as the movie goes. It grows and grows and grows and grows and grows with the phrase evil dies tonight. tonight. It reminds me a lot, uh, (laughs) as I say it out loud, of a George W. Bush era uh, war on evil. Uh, Something... The the axis of evil. Well, well, I'm not trying to be partisan. It's simply an indefinable uh, concept. When you say evil, you have to define it. And if there's evil, even in the hearts of the good, where does your war begin and stop? And then mm-hmm. so um, Michael Myers becomes the scape, the scapegoat, the even though he is guilty, uh, he becomes the scapegoat yeah. for everyone else in, in the community. Uh, somehow taking care of him will help cure their pain. Right. And what they participate in throughout the film. And by the way, it, when you watch it, you will see the unjust death and destruction to others because of their reign of terror going after Michael Myers. You you see what the the cultural theorist and uh, philosopher Rene Girard calls uh, mimetic desire. And mimetic desire is about imitation. And it it really does fuel the, the scapegoating mechanism. The idea of mimetic desire is that other people have what you want and you need to be like them to be fulfilled in some way. And uh, it takes place a lot of times in, in the ritual, in the cultic, where this is where mob mentality grows. Uh, you're acting angry and, 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 and I need to act as angry. I need to match your anger. I need to match my anger. It goes back and forth. And this is where the mob can easily come from. And we've seen just these past few years, mob mentality, uh, which has almost lacked the reason of individuals. And it's because... Mm-hmm. We have fed off the frenzy of each other. And that frenzy gets going in this film and they think that they can take Michael Myers out. Uh, Spoiler, they don't. Uh, (laughs) They get taken out and innocent people along the way get taken out. Um, Mm -hmm. And and it reveals to us that whatever your definition of evil is, which is important, um, it can end up doing much harm to you as anything and how you approach it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, yeah, this, 
for me, whenever I was watching this, you know, this, this, this particular form of vigilante justice, um, you know, and, and, and there's actually another scene <laughs> beyond what the one you're talking about that ends at the hospital, you know, where they do get in front of Michael Myers, like a group of 35, 40 of them, you know, they've trapped him to take again, justice into their own hands, which is very, the opposite of seemingly how he got caught between the Carpenter's first film and David Gordon Green's, you know, 2018 version where they tried to let the authorities do what they were going to do. Um, and that seemed to somewhat work for a few years, but the, you know, the, there was always this danger of, Oh, he could get out. Uh, so they take this, they take those matters into their own hands. And it reminded me of, you know, the, the Nietzsche quote where he says, whoever fights monster should see to it that in the process, he does not become a monster. And if you gaze long enough into an abyss, the abyss will gaze back into you. And that, that quote, you know, these guys in the process of hunting Michael Myers and wanting to fight that evil become the very thing that they're intending to fight. It's like they try to fight evil on its own terms. And I think that's one of the things that, that any, any Michael's Michael Myers movie or slasher movies in, in some ends, it's like fighting violence with violence. Um, you know, especially in Halloween kills, my goodness, you know, you've, you've got in that alley in the back, you know, after they don't get their man, you know, at the hospital, they reconvene, set a trap and then they do get their man. And it, it's pretty gruesome. You know, it, it, uh, dare I say teeters on the edge of Rom zombie gruesome? No, no, Rob, nope. Zomb nope. Rob Zombies is a carnival at the edge of a trailer park during a tornado Ouch. with a dumpster fire in the center. And he likes oh, that man. aesthetic. He man. loves the aesthetic. And aesthetic is, aesthetic is a gross one. It's hard to even identify. With. But it's anyway, grotesque, for sure. Let, let's, let's, yeah. So, so Michael Myers makes it, makes it through. Yeah. Uh, other characters, uh, you know, have suffered the consequences of their, of their uh, hubris, uh, their, their, uh, they're hubris with the crowd and yeah. he lives to see another day. Uh, and then we move on to, to Halloween ends thinking that um, this was going to be compelling. I really did. I found the first two so compelling <laughs> yeah. that I thought maybe we would have a good understanding of evil in this universe, or we would be left again with mystery, but still a mystery that was worth teasing out because there is always um, something beyond our grasp when it comes to, uh, identifying or understanding something such as evil. Yeah. All right. Let's go ahead and try to uh, skin this pig. Uh, <laughs> the third one starts out strangely. Uh, the font, the coloring of the font <coughs> isn't that typical orange for Halloween. It's blue. It's kind of almost signaling to you from the very beginning that things are upside down in this film. Mm hmm. I read somewhere that the the font and uh, coloring was the same type uh, found on Season of the Witch. Shockingly enough, I... Season of the Witch uh, being the uh, the one that did Halloween have Michael three, Myers, yeah. and yeah. it's a, it's a strange one. So what yeah. happens is, is we have this um, we have this very. Uh, I'm going to try to kind of get through this one kind of quickly, but you 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 got a story about a uh, same night Halloween night. Michael Myers has come back. Um, but in another part of town, a very wealthy person's home, uh, a, a, a good upstanding young man comes to babysit and watch after a little kid who is by all accounts a handful. And he locks himself into 
the, the attic and there's all this uh, there's all this stuff going on in terms of just power dynamics with, the, with this little rich kid. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, there's a panic moment from the babysitter, kicks in this door, and uh, through the most tragic of circumstances, the little boy tumbles. <laughs> Gets what he deserves? <laughs> Stop. Ooh, okay, tumbles, okay, uh, tumbles over the banister and falls the many flights of stairs in this palatial home. Yeah, you, you said they were rich. It's like four stories. And he dies. And, of course, when the family comes home, it this this whole thing – it wrecks the family. It wrecks the mom. It wrecks the kid's reputation, the, the young man. And it becomes one more, uh, what you find out, one one more mark of tragedy that has fallen upon H- Haddonfield. Uh, because of all the things that happened in, in Halloween Kills, right? Because this takes, this opening to Halloween Ends takes place in 2019. Right. And then they're going to, you know, fast forward four years to 2022 or three years. But this particular event took place seemingly the Halloween after Halloween kills. So Michael's still on the lamb. You know, he's killed, what, almost 50 people, 60 people, you know, from Halloween kills. I mean, the body All counts. All in a day's work. Yeah. The body counts high in that one. Um, you know, so so for Corey to be spooked. That's his legit- name is Corey. Yeah. Corey. Uh, you know, the, the babysitter, the male babysitter, there's a trope flipped on its head. Um, you know, so he's got every reason to be kind of like, Oh, something's going on. And the kid, you know, also probably heard rumblings on the streets, you know, haha, I'm going to play a trick and, you know, pretend that Michael's in the house, uh, you know, legitimate boogeyman status again. Uh, you know, and so it, it does make sense that he would be acting that way. Um, but yeah, it's a very tragic situation that again is tied back to all the other trauma connected to the Michael Myers story. If you will. And, and, the, and yeah, the milieu of the town has changed. Firstly, yes. I think they set the film or they set the film in Haddonfield, but I think it's, it must've been filmed somewhere else. It didn't have the same look at all, which I found no. very disconcerting as a viewer. Like I, yeah. I felt, I felt like I didn't know where I was any longer so mm-hmm. I, if that was intentional, I don't think it does what it wanted to do. And if it was <laughs> unintentional, well, that's a flaw because I, I felt, <laughs> I felt yeah. dis, displaced as a viewer. Where are yeah. we? I don't feel. Yeah. And then and then ultimately uh, the milieu of the town, like psychically, emotionally, just kind of out there in the ether is this sense of negativity. Uh, mm-hmm. Things have gone uh, tilted, if you will, off their axis. And yeah. Michael Myers has talked about on the radio and people talk about becoming nasty to each other and uh, lacking more than manners, lacking uh, kindness and grace and, and joy. And empathy. Yeah. It's almost like there's a parasite upon an entire community. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Lori is uh, has uh, uh, her own home. She's trying desperately to to write memoirs about her story with Michael Myers, <laughs> yeah. to be normal, to have a normal life. Her her granddaughter's a nurse now. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it looks like they've continued their lives. Uh, however, as it happens, her granddaughter makes the acquaintance of this Corey fellow who has yeah. got a Paul walking all around him uh, of rumor and everything yeah. else. And, um, 
certain people want to pick on him. It's kind of strange. And (laughs) as he's like this completely able-bodied like young man and these high school kids pick on him. Not just Uh, high school kids, banned high school kids. Yeah. Did I just just offend people? Well, are we just, it's like at some point uh, (laughs) the the tropes are being turned over on their head for for the sake of doing so. And they lose a lot of meaning because one time at band camp, I beat the shit out of somebody with my tuba. Oh gosh. (laughs) That's a different movie. So he, uh, <clears throat> there's one uh, one point in the narrative. Corey's knocked over the side of a bridge, and there is uh, something that pulls him into a sewer system. You see him get taken off, and no, it is not the clown from it. But rather, <laughs> it is a very not able-bodied, aged, weakened Michael Myers, yeah. Yeah. who apparently feeds off of harming people, but has grown hungry. In his his murderous years. He's been on a slight diet. And there's something that happens in Corey. Something clicks. It's almost like a digital or an emotional imprinting from Michael Myers onto him. Well, there seems to be, yeah, in that particular scene, there seems to be some type of two-way transmission, right? You know, Michael stares (laughs) stares into the windows of Corey's soul. And sees his pain and goes, oh, I could, I could use this. Or, you know, because at some point, you know, he's got his hands around Corey's neck. And he could probably kill him even though he's in his weakened state. But they do lock eyes. And again, this isn't the first time in the Halloween franchise that this type of psychic transference has, has happened. You know, this, this took place, you know, with Daniel Harris's character in uh, Halloween uh, 4 and 5. So, um. So, but they the execution here is is maybe a little lost in translation, lost in the editing. You know, I I don't particularly have a problem with it, um, but yes, there's, there does seem to be some type of transference going on as as they 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 see into each other's eyes, um, you know, longingly. I guess Corey wants to live, and Michael's like, I want to kill you because I'm hungry, but I guess I'll let you live. So. And then later, uh, seeking the power, Corey goes back, yeah. steals the mask, overcomes Michael Myers, steals the mask, <laughs> and then he starts acting like Michael Myers. And then yeah, the, yeah. you're watching the film and you're going, wait, hold on a second. Is he Michael Myers now? Right, and right. then there's some weird point in the film. I'm just going to go through this because I actually yeah. have so, such distaste for it. <laughs> there's, this, there's this point where he's doing the deed of harming somebody and then Michael Myers joins him. And yeah. and it's like okay, I guess we got some sort of weird mentorship happening. Yeah, it's it's an apprenticeship know. of some kind. I, I yeah. my guidance counselor didn't tell me about that track in high school, but hey, it's fine. Okay, it works for some people. That's probably because you have a dark heart. You know, it's black, <laughs> meaning it has a lot a lack of color. Oh it's a lack gosh. of color. It's a lack of goodness. Okay, it's a lack of humanity. Like oh my gosh, what a metaphor. Huh. Anywho, it works. Okay, I could show you the video. It's better than this. Better than this. It's the whole better time. Than the, look, yeah, carry on because the I, whole I, time, Lori Strode is worried about her granddaughter, and you yeah. would be too. And she's better than him, but sure. whatever. She can't see it. He's a bad boy. You know. Well, initially, Lori wants to give him the benefit of the doubt. You know, initially, she's like, you know, I know what it's like to have a whole town talk about you behind your back. You know, so there was some. You know, she did have some compassion on this kid, but the more she watched him, and she did. Uh, the more she realized that he was struggling with something that didn't lead to anything good, and so that's when she decided, yeah, th- he's not. This is this is a bad idea. 
I feel like it is a very shallow metaphor for uh, uh, for for addiction and drug abuse. Mm. Uh, seeing that happen, uh, yeah. but nevertheless, um, she has warned him a number of times over. She's cautioned him. She's offered notes of help, and yeah. he's just go- keeps going down the uh, the alleyway, the boulevard of broken dreams. <laughs> and now there's a moment where he sees her as a threat, and he's going to tried to kill Laurie Strode, but she's, she's waiting. She's no hapless victim. No. And when this happens, there's also the reemergence of the real Michael Myers, her real enemy, her real foe. And, um, quite ceremoniously, she bests him and he seems to die almost, uh, in a crucifix shape. I might say, you might say table. that on the table it, with a lot of blood drained of blood it's kind of the inversion of some eucharistic weird thing something towns, i read somewhere townspeople show up it's more <laughs> mimetic desire and they decide yeah. to take the broken bloodied body of michael myers and parade him around town it should have ended in a burning should have ended like, in a burning there would have been a viking, would have been, like a yeah. viking funeral yeah i mean and but there no, would have been not, some symmetry there, but they, they have a mangled in a mangled machine. In a Rob Zombie-esque type way. Come on. Rob say Zombie-esque it. type say way. Yeah. And, and so ultimately, that, that, that's the conclusion. And, and you know, we, well, well, that's not quite the conclusion. All right, yeah. you go. You, you've, you've straightened me out here. Yeah, I'm that's so, not quite I'm the trying conclusion. to forget this movie. Look, no, no, no. Well, you, you're gonna, if you're trying to do that, you're going to miss the best part. Because the conclusion, the way this film ends, I actually feel like post-death, I mean, I like the processional. Uh, I just didn't like him, how they offed the body. Uh, I, I thought that was, you know, very unreal, ritualistic, and they could have had it, you know, could have been better. But uh, what Lori says in voiceover in her memoir. Oh, yes, you're correct. Yeah, Sorry. As, as, and this is, this is the beautiful symmetry that, that, that I wish there has to be some more footage in the editing room. Uh, you know, how movies get made, it's it's amazing that anything gets made that's worth talking about. But in this particular film, she's in, she finishes her memoir, and then uh, she says, evil doesn't die, it just changes shape. And uh, as that happens, you know, her monster in the form of Michael Myers is dead. There's, there's no coming back from what he went through. Um, and then as it, ends it shows different rooms in her house well lit rays of light coming in there's no breathing underneath you know on the track like there was in the original 1978 where it showed all the rooms and michael breathing through his mask yes and in darkness yeah and it ends in darkness and this movie does the exact opposite and i think it's very powerful you know that she is finally done with her monster and that evil that she had in her life has finally been released and it shows that in a very visual way and i did think that that was a very powerful way to end this film and her story we can we can discuss about how i felt about you know everything in between <laughs> and coming up to our uh, you know our segment hannibal's bites where we criticize you know things I've got some criticisms, but that is not one of them. Uh, well, actually, okay, you let me yeah. just say you you're absolutely right and I completely uh for, it's been a, it's been a minute, you know, we uh friends for those of you listening to us and giving us uh the grace of your ear for a little while. We actually saw this film together a couple months ago 
uh, when it first came out. And then we recorded a review and uh, we lost the recording and then battled laryngitis for basically <laughs> two months. So uh, it's been a spell. But you are right. It that was a very powerful and the vo- that that as she finishes her memoir is a powerful end to the story of Laurie Strode, uh, and 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 it's a powerful use of the word shape once again. Mm-hmm. Evil just changes shape. Let's go now. I think we've been talking about what we enjoy about these films. That the turning over of old tropes. Um, I think getting back to some of the original brilliance, uh, and now because we have been criticizing throughout, I'm going to bring my heaviest criticism on the, on the uh, just the logical consistency or incoherence of evil. Let's turn to a segment we call Hannibal's bites, where we ask the question, where did the film fail? Or in this case, we're asking about the entire trilogy. Hello. Is this Clarice? Oh, hello, Clarice. And for me, in Hannibal's Bites, it is the question of evil. We've been playing with it. Um, certainly it's played with during the all the incarnations of the franchise. Is evil something from within or is it something from without? Going back to Carpenter's uh, interest in that dichotomy of how you can do evil in a narrative. Um, I, I think it fails. I, I think it fails in trying to even scare you. I think the third mm. one, Halloween ends, isn't even that scary because I think what it does is I think ultimately these three movies land on the idea that evil is a thing. Evil is a force. Mm. Evil is a power. Evil is a something out there in the world that goes bump in the night that lurks through uh, parts of all this created world that we live in. Um, it can be within and can be without, but evil uh, has its own ontology, its own ontic status, right? It's its own yeah. being, its own, its own identity. Well, I think it lacks the ability to really make that sing because what you're doing is you're dealing with the universal. Mm. You're trying to deal with the universal big of evil and you're trying to distill it down into this one character called Michael Myers to which they really can't. It's not enough of a vehicle to handle uh, that concept. It was always Mm. more as terrifying when the inductive approach was used. By looking at an individual, the very particular thing called Michael Myers with, or the shape with the yeah. blank stare, lurking with the mystery, to then let the mind open up to the question of this concept of evil. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's a criticism of the film. Uh, and then, then before I go, any, we go any further. Let me just say that that I think ultimately one has to kind of contend with what evil is. Yeah, and in the in the great tradition of the West, you do have those the, those two options. You have evil as a thing, or to follow uh, Augustine of Hippo, evil is privatio boni, privation of the good. Uh, certainly, that that becomes a large part of the Christian tradition, and uh, later on, certain traditions kind of come up with the concept of evil as a thing. Like you know, think about the Force, the dark mm-hmm. side of the Force, or the the nothing and never any story. They call <laughs> yeah. it a nothing, but it's definitely a thing. Something, yeah. Through. 
It's a right. wolf, right? It's a wolf. It's a presence. It's the devil. It's the demons. Yeah. It's yeah. whatever. But evil as nothing, no thing, means that evil doesn't have a substance. Evil, the question would be from a from like a theological point of view, is if God created all things and created them good, then where does evil come from? Well, evil can only then be good, which has been misordered, misused, right. twisted, like a cavity or a cancer. A cancer, a cell that has been turned and manipulated. A cavity, an absence, an abscess. Or we could simply say a rock is a good thing, but used incorrectly. Not to build, but to hit. Right. It becomes used for evil. So there's no evil thing. There's only evil action. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that that is part of the tension throughout the whole movie. All the, all the movies is they're dealing with evil as nothing and yeah. evil as everything almost. All right. Yeah. My bad for going on and on, Ryan. What are your <laughs> Hannibal's bites? Well, my Hannibal's bites is, at least for the last film, I did not like the character regressions uh, of Allison. I did not like the... Here, here. Yeah, I did not like the loose end that, that, that they left from Halloween Kills. You know, they they set up so many things in that movie that they did not pay off in the third film. I mean, they just left them and went a completely different direction. So, yeah, I, I did not, I did not like, I did not like that. I, I for Allison to have gone through the first two films uh, and then end up that Allison and Halloween ends. I there's something that happened in those four years that it just doesn't make sense. You know, uh, I her character in Halloween ends was very flat. I did not like the relationship that her and Lori had again. Just judging, judging based off of where they left things from the first two films, something happened. Something had to have happened. They don't show us in Halloween Ends that explains the tension in their relationship. So that's one Hannibal's bites for you that I did not, I did not care for. Uh, secondly, I didn't care for the extended look at Corey and how he becomes like the shape 2.0. Uh, you know, they're essentially trying to do this in-depth psychological analysis at how somebody could become Michael Myers, and it's just a rehash of what Rob Zombie did in his version that I think is better. Like at least, and and he even he even Corey even has the overbearing protective mother that you know that tries to be the girlfriend. You know, it's a it's a it's kind of a broken home situation. It wasn't as you know grotesque or circusy as as Rob Zombie, but uh, I feel like. At least when Rob Zombie tried to take on that question of how does a psychopath become a psychopath in a way that embodies that those versions of evil that you're talking about, he just did it in a in a in I think a, a superior way than David Gordon Green, even though the aesthetics are different. Uh, but I ultimately find that the psychology behind it almost identical. Uh, I just like I think I like. Uh, zombies execution better and so for my Hannibal's bites for the Halloween ends it just wasn't compelling enough because it took so long for them to say what they were trying to say they could have said it much much faster and then you don't have Corey being Michael Myers killing people because half of the people that died in Halloween ends you know Corey kills dressed up as Michael you know it's like a <laughs> he's like hey I got to put on a Michael Myers costume and be him for a night um, yeah, so that's, that's probably the, the, the most scathing, <laughs> the most scathing of, of, of bites is that ultimately he, he just did what Rob Zombie did, 
uh, just did it in a different aesthetic style. And I don't think it works. Yeah. Yeah. So, so my, my overall assessment of the trilogy is it's kind of like my high school career, you know, uh, start off, start off strong, working good, but then you get senioritis and, mm. uh, you kind of coast. Now I think maybe they yeah. just try to cram it into three when, cause I think the pacing is right. Your, your criticism of the pacing is right. We, we hop to things. You're like, what's going on here? Yeah. Um, I think it was too audacious metaphysically as well as narratively and character uh, in terms of character development on that last one. All in all, uh, I, I still say watch the first Halloween first. And I, I really do. The second one to me is, is okay. H2O is passable, but the, <laughs> But 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 the first two of David Gordon yeah. Green's installment to me are really really worth the time, and yeah. um, I, I think that you're going to hear this time and again because I'm just interested in why monsters scare us. Yeah. Monster theory is a fascinating field, uh, and uh, there there is at least a, wait, I go look up the name of the vampire scholar who does folkloric vampire and literary vampires. Nice. Just she, her quote uh, sounds like something that we used to talk about in seminary with the general monster. Her quote is simply that each age creates the vampire it needs. Yeah. And you and I used to always say when you were working on uh, Ryan, yeah. everybody did a master's thesis <laughs> on the theology of horror films. She's, so, you know, she stole my, she stole my line. We say that uh, every, uh, you know, we, every, every generation, generation creates the horror film that they need to, it, to deal with their, their fears, their societal and, fears. Process, yeah, processing the world. And I, so I, I think that it's interesting, that, you know, you, when you're dealing with the original Halloween or you move into the ripoff Friday the 13th or <laughs> you watch Nightmare on Elm Street, you're dealing with Reagan era, Reagan era uh, concerns. That's why the final yeah. girl always seems to be kind of moral majority pure. I think <laughs> yeah, um, majority pure, the bad guy, the bad guy is pretty obvious over there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we knew who the bad guy was. It was, you know, it was Russia. We were at the end of the cold war. Um, right. It was pretty hard and fast goodies and baddies over here. By the time you got to the films like saw, uh, oh, yeah. there was a lot more like weird, like, like is the bad guy helping you? <laughs> Yeah. Are you hurting yourself? And so, you know, we're dealing in an era of time when, when our, our villains, nationally speaking, are, are terrorists that may look just like us and have been radicalized. You don't know who's coming after you. Right. Um, and, and now we're back to a retread of, of an older movie. But uh, at the same time, I think it really, I think this really fits today when we live in a world where um, we are a monster sometimes when yeah. you have an, an, you know people not caring about each other during a pandemic when you have another black man dead in the street when you when you have people treating each other uh with great suspicion uh when conspiracy theory is the most uh uh compelling thing going and it, <laughs> and it, and, it, and, it, and it so happily otherizes people yeah to be yeah. the villainous um Taking a Michael Myers, you all right? Yep. <laughs> you got a hacker. You got a hacker over here. Uh, we uh, taking a Michael Myers and twisting it some uh, is really an interesting way for us to deal with the, with the questions we face. And the question ultimately still is, what's evil? Yeah. 
And what's good? Yeah. Are we good? Are we evil? Or is evil is evil yeah. something that happens to us, or do we participate in it? Well, and I how think, about that and, mob mentality? How I about played. that mob mentality? And that, that's something that that both. Huh, that's something that you'll encounter throughout the entire the entire run of any Halloween film that you pick. Right, you're going to encounter, I think, both versions of evil at some point. And I don't know if you know 100. You know, when you sit down to write a screenplay, you know, your target's about 110 pages or so, right? You know, I don't know if 110 pages is enough space to kind of to deal with uh, to deal with in both versions or expressions of evil, right? Um, And I think that's probably why some why Halloween ends wasn't so scary beyond maybe the jump scares, right? Because it's it's dealing yeah. with too big, like it's I said, dealing with metaphysically much, yeah. the universal in a in a particular, yeah. and it and it doesn't work. And uh, you put Michael Myers in a sewer, <laughs> and he's like eighty five years old. Like you had to wait a very just, long time to get to Michael it's Myers. It's almost it's almost an hour in. All right, you we know, we, yeah. we we get an, I digress. Yeah. We, we get we're 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 having a full buffet of Hannibal's bites. Yes, yes, I'm full let's, now. <laughs> let's let's ask the question like Buffy. Where do we go from here? And I know uh, you and I, we can't promise anything, but we hope to be looking at other horror franchises. Um, We hope to look at, I I, want to look at uh, those new films all put together by uh, uh, um, Jordan. Jordan uh, Peele. Jordan Peele uh, from Get Out to Us to Nope. Uh, there's a lot of interesting horror that's coming out, um, and uh, not sure where we'll go, but we're we're going to keep asking questions about these the horrific, the monstrous. What does it mean for our need for peace in the world? What does it mean for our desire for the divine, the holy, or lack thereof? And uh, what does it mean for human psychology? All these big questions. Uh, my good friend Ryan, do you have anything to share before we we we, we cut out of here? No, I think I think this has been a good exploration of of the Halloween franchise and and a good overview. I look forward to seeing you know horror films for me. It's like an extended meditation on our mortality, right? They're all about death and dying badly, and it's tough to watch that and not think about it. And so, <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. I oh wow, I don't want to die, you know, with an axe to the head. That looks very painful. Um, but yeah so i you know i look forward to having you know that's where we go from here to continue this conversation on you know the manifestations of our fears you know that we see in the horror films that get released and have this conversation about you know really you know what it means to be human Uh, yeah all right well my friends it's been a good one we hope to uh, see you next time please do uh, like us and share us and subscribe Have a great one.